You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. I guess there's also a bit of separating what you're doing professionally from the relationships and realizing that these aren't just people that you work with. These aren't just people that you relate to or see on a daily basis. These are actual people that regardless of how you're interacting professionally, you don't just have a LinkedIn relationship with them. You also have an Instagram relationship with them. That whole conversation is coming up. Now, this episode is brought to you by the Angry Beaver Bar and Grill in Corvallis. More on the Angry Beaver at the end of this episode. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. We are three quarters of the way to the century mark. Hello and welcome everybody to episode 75 of the Beaver Tales podcast. My guest today is Aaron Magnuson, an offensive lineman for the Oregon State football team a decade ago. Came from a powerhouse program nearby, two state titles at West Albany High School. He only played two years at Oregon State. He was a walk-on, and while he learned from Mike Riley and his offensive line coach Mike Cavanaugh a lot, Aaron will say he grew a lot more as a person in the years directly following his decision to retire from football. He also got married to an Oregon State student-athlete, volleyball player Megan McBride. They now live in Rancho Cucamonga, California, right there in Victor Bolden territory. Aaron Magnuson is now an online pastor, and not just since COVID. We're talking a couple of years now that Aaron Magnuson has done that. So you talk about flattening the curve. Well, he was ahead of the curve in the whole online social media, online interfacing dynamic. So he had some really interesting things to say in this conversation about social media, establishing friendships in the digital age, how to impact people online, as well as his own personal growth and life purpose story. So please welcome former Oregon State offensive lineman and more importantly, just a really good dude. Here is Aaron Magnuson. Well, Aaron, thanks for joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast down from California. How are you and your family doing? Oh, we're doing great. I was so excited, Josh, when I got the email from you. I just love the medium of podcasting, talking into a mic and capturing content that way, uh, capturing people's stories. And, and I hadn't heard of this podcast until you had reached out. And I'm really excited to contribute one small story to a bunch of stories that you've done thus far. It's just a really cool endeavor that you've gotten yourself into. Yeah, my pleasure. Tell me briefly, I'm sure we'll come back to it a little bit, but the podcast or podcasts you're a part of and what you're passionate about there, what, what's a snapshot of what you're doing these days? Yeah. So two years ago, actually, yeah, two years and a couple of days now that, now that we're in October, I've been living in Southern California. The church that I work for, I'm an online pastor at a church called One and All. We're in East LA, more specifically, San Dimas is where the church is located. And then I live a little bit further east in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Actually, one of the ladies that I work with here at church, she has, I think it's her nephew is the wide receiver Fleming. I'm forgetting his oh, first name on the Champ. football team. Champ. Yeah, Champ, my guy. So I've not met Champ, but Champ, I think I've met your aunt. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so she was all excited when she found out that I went to Oregon State. So yeah, 
we've been living down here, my wife and I, Megan, who played volleyball at Oregon State. I always like to make the distinction, and I should probably say this up top. Megan played on the volleyball team. I was a part of the football <laughs> team. So we were living our best athlete's life. That's how we met. And then after college, we lived in Oregon for a bit of time, Albany, uh, and all of you listening in Corvallis. You actually know where that is. I've uh, not been able to explain where that is for so many people here in Southern California because they just don't care. Half of them think Washington and Oregon are the same state, right? So just in the same way that I thought the Bay Area and Southern California were really close together, and that's just not true. So yeah, we've been living down here for two years. I'm the online pastor here at One and All. And so that allows me to do things like podcasting. Um, and capturing content that way. So yeah, I'm a part of two podcasts, one that I do here for this church, and then one that I do on the side on the same subject, helping other pastors at churches engage with social media and utilize that to, to grow their ministry. It's called the Social Media Church Podcast. So I get to co-host two podcasts, which is a really good time, uh, as well as doing a bunch of other stuff. So yeah. With COVID this year having changed so many things that are not normally online, all of a sudden becoming online, being a pastor is one of those things where I never have heard the phrase online pastor until 2020, but of course it's going to happen. So what does that look like for you to be an online pastor? Yeah, that's a really good question, Josh. So I do want to say first, online pastor and online pastoring existed before COVID because I was hired obviously two years ago into this role. But with COVID, obviously, uh, that role got more solidified and more churches that had maybe never thought about that all of a sudden were thinking about that. And so it's kind of an ambiguous term that means a couple different things, probably depending on the organization that you're talking to. But what it means for us is I pastor and interact with our online audience who before COVID maybe lived in a different country, lived in a different state, just wouldn't ever attend a physical campus here in Southern California. And what that's kind of transitioned to in the COVID season and what will eventually happen after COVID, because everybody who was a physical pastor here now does online pastoring, right? Uh, and so it more looks like kind of being a coach, kind of being a consultant, helping our church stay on the cutting edge of what's happening digitally so that ultimately we can spread the gospel online to the ends of the earth as far as possible. And so I just have more people swimming in my pool now, which is really exciting and really great. And lots of people learning new skills. And so it looks a lot more like me coaching people now, instead of taking on the brunt of being the only expression of our church online, which is really exciting. So we still have like our teaching pastors, like I'm not, I'm on camera, but more as like very similar to what you're doing, Josh, you're just introducing these athletes of Beaver Nation to Beaver Nation. Uh, I do the exact same thing in my role where I am online connecting people digitally with what's happening here physically, uh, which allows me to be on a podcast very similar uh, to the one that you're leading yourself. So it's a really good time. And it's, it's a, it's a real, I love online. I love being online. I love social media. When I discovered social media, can you believe it? When I was at Oregon State, Josh, Twitter was like not even a thing. I remember sitting in class with Jordan Poyer. And he had, we didn't even have smartphones yet, barely. I don't even think it was an iPhone. I think it was what Verizon, it was an Envy. It was an Envy phone. And he had the Twitter app on there. And I don't even, it wasn't even an app at that point, but whatever it was on his phone. And I remember him tweeting in class, but like we didn't have social media in 2009 the way we do now. And so when I really got into it, 
I discovered, because I'm so relational, I just discovered, man, I can do relationships at scale and have a lot of people that I interact with that I get to interact with daily that I wouldn't necessarily see daily. And so kind of all of that has led to where I am now, where uh, I get the opportunity to have relationships at scale uh, on social media and talk to them about Jesus. I remember my freshman year of college, I didn't get a smartphone until sophomore year of college, which wow. now I see these seventh graders and well, even earlier than that, but they've totally. got you know, smartphones. I remember being freshman year in McNary dorm and my roommate nice. had a smartphone with like the Twitter app. And even at nice. that point, I was like, okay, I get that you can do Twitter on your phone, but why do you need a separate app for it? On my computer, you just <laughs> go on your browser and you have it bookmarked. Why do you need an app? And now I'm like, okay, totally. I get it now. Like Everybody so, uh, <laughs> understands now, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people talk about the, the drawbacks of social media. You're not as mm. um, connected with the person. It, it's easier to yeah. jump to conclusions about someone, or even if you're already friends with them, it's totally. not face to face. Tell me about, and we can, we can come back to the drawbacks or how that's difficult for you, but yeah. what pros are there beyond just like, I can talk with somebody in New York when I normally can't, but is there even something with the relationship where it can be conducive to do something you normally couldn't? Yeah, this is a great opportunity. I actually wouldn't be living here in California if it weren't for social media, but Twitter specifically. I wouldn't have this job. I wouldn't have this opportunity. So that's a great question. And I and I do think like the documentary that just came out, The Social Dilemma, if you haven't watched it on Netflix, go watch it. Important conversations, important realizations, uh, things that because I'm in this world, I've been thinking about. So it's surprising to me that people watch that and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. And you're like, why did you think it was free. What did you think was happening? And so I, it's kind of shaped the way that I view social media in the sense that because I'm familiar with it, I should also be, and especially in a, in a role of like a pastor at a church, I should be part of me is accountable to help other people utilize and use social media more responsibly and uh, have it be a benefit to their lives, not a detriment. And so I think it's an important conversation that the social dilemma points out. But I would also say that I think the good that comes from social media is way more valuable than just deleting your, your Facebook account. So I think maybe develop some healthy practices around social media before you say, no, I just can't do social media, which that could be uh, the right option for you as well. But I'll tell you my story about social media and how I'm here. So I actually started the podcast I, I now co-host. When I first started straight out of college, um, I got hired at a church in Albany called The Grove. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this and you are looking for an awesome church, check out The Grove uh, in Albany. And they hired me straight away. I, I didn't graduate, Josh, from Oregon State thinking that I would get into ministry. Actually, Megan and I thought we were going to move back to her family in Auburn, Washington. Um, but uh, one of the last weeks in college, uh, my pastor took me out to lunch and he's like, Hey, I'd love for you to apply for this job. Uh, and I was like, well, I never really thought about working at a church, but it would be really fun to work for and with you. Uh, so that's how I got into ministry. And so when I was trying to figure out my role there, I, I stumbled across this, uh, podcast called the social media church podcast, which I now get to co-host. Uh, and so they were talking about really interesting things that was helping me do my job. And so I sent a Twitter DM to the co-hosts of that show. And, um, if that, from that point forward, it kind of started a relationship. They were gracious enough to reach back to me uh, and kind of help me out, answer some questions, help me do my job better, uh, which is a great strategy for any profession, by the way, uh, getting into Instagram DMs, Twitter DMs, LinkedIn is a thing now. So going on LinkedIn, like just sending people messages because you never know who's going to reach back. 
uh, to help you out. And if you ever send me a direct message uh, for any of these things, I will always get back to you because of what these people did for me. So Jay Cranda, who lives in Southern California, he actually is the online pastor at Saddleback. If you guys are familiar with Rick Warren uh, and his ministry, he's kind of a, a, a bigger name in the, in the Christian circle. He is the online pastor there. And then there's another guy named Neil Smith who kind of does consulting. He lives in New York. And so I just formed a relationship with Nils and Jay over the course of five years. And I had never met them in person. I think I had maybe even done one Zoom meeting with both of them. Like, so like basically zero FaceTime. It's just DMs, just watching each other's Instagram stories, interacting, asking questions, building a friendship. And this church in Southern California here was looking to fill this position. And Jay, they asked Jay and he recommended me and we had never met. We had never outside of the relationship that we had only formed exclusively on social media. He felt confident to recommend me. And so, and then I found out later that our church here was consulting, was paying Nils as a consultant to help them fill this role. So the two guys that I met five years earlier helped me get the job that I have here. And I had never met both of them. Uh, I have now, but the whole point, going back to your initial question, the advantage to social media is there's relationships. It just opens the net for relationships for people that because I don't live geographically close to them, I would have never had a relationship with if it wasn't for things like direct messages uh, on Twitter. So I'm here because of social media. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the social dilemma because when I watched that, not that I was blown away because a lot of it was like, I kind of knew that already, Yeah, but still hit home. And like the week after my screen time, you can track it, it dropped like totally. 30%. Like, the thing that stuck with me and one of the main points is you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, whatever social media is, and they're trying to cater content, you know, put the posts that they can see that you'll interact with the most, that you stay on the app more yep. so that you'll see more advertisements so that they can get more revenue. And I'm like, that makes sense. To me, if I go into it, okay, I'm going to spend an average of 15 to 20 minutes a day in social media. As long yep. as I keep it to that and no more, I'm fine with that. Yeah. If I do that and then start spending an hour or two hours a day on social media because I get wrapped in, that's a problem. Right. But if I spend 15 to 20 minutes and it's the content catered to me and it starts giving me the stuff that I already will like, but I manage to keep it at 20 minutes a day, uh -huh. to me, then that actually kind of works out and, and it uses their method of wrapping me in, but making the content better, but not letting it get out of hand. Totally. What about you? How do you approach that? Yeah. And I, because it's my job, it gets a little bit more confusing and a little bit harder to, to, to have those boundaries, right? Because there's my, my whole job can be done from my phone. So for me, it's, it's being intention, being aware, not, not getting sucked into. So, so things like that naturally happen on your phone or settings that you can set up, have the technology work for you and being able to monitor screen time and just kind of by the nature, I guess in some respects, having it as a job is a little bit easier because I get tired of it by the end of the day to where I'm not actually consuming content as much as I am either posting or intentionally looking at different places for things. So in that regard, it makes it a little bit easier, but then I'll also have a day, Josh, where I, for me, it's Friday where not only do I not work specifically for 24 hours, I won't work, but because that's my day away from work, I also try to have that be my day as much as possible away from my phone, which is hard because I'm, I'm out with my family doing stuff. It's our day together. Uh, and so there's stuff that I'll want to take pictures about or post about, but I'm very aware uh, when I have my phone um, that there is that temptation to do that. But it helps the boundary, I guess, would be that I have a day where I'm 
intentionally focused on trying to leave my phone away from me as much as possible. Uh, and so I, I think um, just like what you said, it's like, okay, go into your settings and look at that, uh, how long you've been looking at your phone today. There's, uh, I'll tell, I'll share a quick story. There's some, one of my coworkers uh, after they watched it, cause he was asking me some questions. Uh, he was talking to his wife and uh, he just asked her, he's like, Hey, how long do you think you've been watching? Like, how long have you spent on YouTube today? Um, and she's like, wow, I was watching some videos, learning how to, cause she's a, a videographer, a photographer. So she was like watching some tutorial stuff. She's like, wow, I think I was on it a little bit more than usual today because of this. And she guessed around three hours. She had been on YouTube that day for seven hours, uh, which, which is, I, which I think that number is here nor there. I think the more staggering thing is you had no idea your, your internal gauge was completely broken. And so I think the, the first step is identifying that you may have a problem and then, uh, your Android or your Apple iPhone will help you, uh, confirm or deny that theory by going into the analytics and looking at the screen time. And then uh, the, those same devices have features built in that can help you regulate yourself. Uh, I just switched from Android to Apple uh, as of a couple of days ago when this podcast is being recorded. Uh, so I haven't looked into the Apple side of things yet, but I think there's, you can actually have like apps that lock down after a certain time that there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, so I would just encourage you, uh, one of the first steps is just become aware of your habits and then utilize that same technology to help you help yourself. I like that a lot. I, I do the same thing on Sundays. I kind of designate that as like a, a Sabbath day. I refuse yep. to do no work and I will not open Twitter. I will not open Instagram, yeah. nothing for the whole day. Uh, and it's, it's good. And like, like you said, like, it's not necessarily bad to spend a lot of, especially if it's for work, like I'm on my computer all day, editing totally. audio, doing stuff. So if I end up spending six hours of screen time on my computer, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But if it right. was like, I thought I spent five hours and then I look, I was like nine and a half all day. Then, yeah. Then there's a problem. Totally. <laughs> Let's come back to a little bit about Maybe Oregon State, and we'll come back to what you're doing now. When you were at Oregon State, yeah. and you're playing for Mike Cavanaugh, you're playing for Mike Riley. Yep. What's something that stuck with you? Uh, a piece of advice that they gave you, a story from your time at Oregon State. Uh, what, what's something that you still use to this day, or sticks with you? You know, something along those lines. Yeah, that's that's a really good question, and something that I think all of us athletes really enjoy talking about. So. Um, well, the, the thing that stuck with me the longest is, is Megan, the wife that I've <laughs> got from Oregon state. Um, uh, but specifically pertaining to football. So the years that I was there was 2009 to 2013, my football years, I was there for two years. So 2009 through 2011. So my first season was when we got hammered by BYU in, uh, the Las Vegas bowl, right after that tough loss to Oregon. Uh, it, it, we went from potentially going to the Rose bowl, uh, to going all the way down to the Las Vegas bowl, which was uh, very demoralizing. That was an incredible team. Uh, and then the, the next year um, was kind of an off year and then they kind of ramped back up, but I stopped playing because I had met Megan because I knew that I wanted to marry her. I was only a walk-on uh, at Oregon state. Um, and for those of you listening, you might understand the term preferred walk-on. So I didn't have to do a tryout. Uh, they asked me to be on the team, but I was not uh, brought to Oregon state on scholarship. And so I wasn't making any money. Uh, and when I realized that uh, I wanted to marry Megan, uh, I stopped playing football, which is the first thing that I've ever quit. Um, but the graciousness of Mike and Mike, Mike Cavanaugh and Mike Riley it, exiting the program was just unbelievable. Uh, and just their leadership, uh, specifically Mike's, 
Mike Riley's leadership of a team, both coaches and players. Uh, I just gleaned so much from him. What most fans hated about Mike Riley was how passive he was. Um, and well, his passivity tr uh, is what translated through the cameras on the sideline, but really that was his greatest leadership gift. I think because the reason he was so passive is because he was letting his coaches uh, do their jobs and he wasn't um, a micromanager. He wasn't uh, in the weeds uh, unless he needed to be, which we saw a couple of years later uh, when he took over play calling. I don't remember what year that was, but the offense was struggling. He took over play calling the offense instantly uh, increased in productivity. It was one of the most incredible things I've seen, but his ability to empower somebody else to do their job and then let them do their job and even fail in their job and coach them to success. Josh, I think one of the most underrated things about Mike Riley's tenure at Oregon State was how he also not just did that with coaches, but also did that with players. There are so many players that I played with that are in the league. I, I, I've been uh, actually Josh uh, Andrews and I just set up a time to FaceTime later on this week. Uh, Marcus Wheaton, Jordan Poyer, uh, Mike Remmers, uh, Alex Linnenkohl, so many players, uh, Johnny Hecker, my goodness. Um, so many players that are in the league that when, like, I remember coming on my official visit, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I just think it's important. Mike Riley's leadership was unreal. And I remember going uh, on my official visit, Jordan Poyer and I had the same official visit. And, uh, and we actually got really close because we came in at the same time, both from Oregon, both from relatively small towns in Oregon, Astoria and Albany. And Jordan up to that point had not been offered by any school. No schools had offered to Jordan Poyer. Uh, and if you don't know who Jordan Poyer is, uh, you should Google Jordan Poyer and see he's the captain of the Buffalo Bills right now. Uh, just one of the best safeties in the NFL. But that was the story, not just for Jordan, but for so many of us uh, who came in where if you stayed at Oregon State and, and Mike Cavanaugh, the offensive line coach at the time, was notorious for this at all of the programs he was at. Um, taking players that he would always tell us, he's like, he, we'd be watching film on USC. We'd be getting ready to play USC. And he'd go down the line of their defensive line and let us know what, what star they were coming out of high school, how many stars they had. And then he'd go down to our offensive line and he'd be like, zero star, zero star, zero star, one star, zero star. And the, and so my point is that coaching staff would take players that were either overlooked or underrated and develop them as, as men and as players to the point where they could go to the NFL and have long tenured careers in the NFL. And so all of that came from co good coaching and good teaching, which is ultimately what coaching is. And I think uh, that's an art that not every person that wears the title of coach actually has. Some of them are more like managers and less like coaches and teachers. Um, but that is what I learned from that staff is how to build a really healthy culture and how to delegate uh tasks and responsibilities to those uh, different people in the organization so that it's not one person doing everything, but it's everybody coming together collectively as a team so that everybody has a hand. And they would do that with the walk-ons. I mean, I was treated no differently as a walk-on than the scholarship kids and being on like the practice squad. 
my role was seen as just as valuable as the starters, even though I never played a game, it felt like I had a hand in those victories because of how they uh, helped us understand the importance of practice in the week leading up. And if we didn't give a good look, if we didn't do X, Y, and Z, um, our defense wasn't, I was on offense. Our defense wasn't going to be ready that week for the offense that they were going to play. And so uh, just learned a lot about culture, learned a lot about legacy. Uh, Mike Cavanaugh, the players that would come back who didn't go to Oregon State, maybe they were in Hawaii or at a different school that Coach Cavanaugh coached at. If they'd be in town, they would come and swing by a practice and see him and just seeing the legacy that you can leave um, through how you interact with people at any given time is just one of the greatest skills that I learned from those coaches that I carry myself with today. And then I would say um, the, the most, the, the thing I learned personally, not from any person, but what I grew in the most when I came out from Oregon state is when I stopped playing uh, I didn't real because I was so focused as you are as a player, you want to, you want to climb the depth chart. You want to get into the game. You want to be a starter. You want to uh, work on your craft so that you're at least on par with the starters. And, um, and I remember uh, just being so focused on that. And the day that I quit, uh, um, you know, I, I informed Mike Riley that, that I was going to not be playing anymore. And I made sure that the coaches knew, but I hadn't told the players yet. And we had workouts and I wasn't at workouts. And I started getting texts from these seniors. Like I specifically remember getting a text from Mike Remmers. And I had this realization of like, wow, I, I, was making such an impact in the locker room with who I was that it had nothing to do with what was happening on the field, that there was actually another level to this thing, which is the culture in the locker room. And so there was these people checking in, Hey, why aren't you at workouts? Where are you? And so I was able to let them know that I had stepped away from the program. And, um, that was the kind of the biggest opportunity that I squandered because I didn't realize that that has now set me up in my current seat to never squander the proverbial locker rooms that I'm in ever again. Uh, no matter what seat I sit in, how am I stewarding and investing in the relationships that are around me? Because when I stepped away, I wanted to make it a clean break. Like I didn't want to linger. Like I was half on the team, half not on the team. And so I didn't attend a single game that first year that I left. Cause I just, I just couldn't, I didn't want to be around it. But what that led to was me losing a lot of relationships that I had started in the locker room. And so uh, since then I've tried to kind of rekindle some of those, get those back um, and kind of, uh, pick up the work that I had started in the locker room. And I think you have better perspective as you get out, which is why I appreciate Josh, you're getting us on when we're closer to being adults, right? Uh, we're not kids in the locker room and we have no idea what we're doing, but I think that's the biggest thing I learned is that there's production that's happening that everybody sees, but that doesn't necessarily define your worth or your value, uh, on the team, because there's this other thing that nobody sees, which is the locker room. And no matter what profession you're in, no matter what season of life you're in, there is a locker room opportunity that you have, which is the relationships behind closed doors. Uh, and I, I feel like I didn't do as good of a job at Oregon state with that, um, as I could have. And so, uh, I'm spending every day now since trying to never not take advantage of that opportunity again. 
the the nice thing is that the one season you did miss and not watch at all was that 2011 season where they went what three and nine I think it oh, was so it was a good tough. year to miss if any of them but oh, I, yeah. I joke I joke but one of those first games back though in all seriousness was uh when we beat Wisconsin at Reeser <laughs> Stadium uh and that was that was a much better season I think we either went to the Texas Bowl or the Alamo Bowl or the Hawaii Bowl but uh yeah, yeah. anyways they had just an incredible, those two years, life-changing. I mean, yeah, like you, which is why I appreciate the question. There's things that I have translated and that I've taken on uh, into every year of my life since not playing football there. Um, it's just incredible. Yeah, this may this may be the, a good question to end on this next one since you kind of perfectly transition back to what you're doing now and what what you learned at Oregon State yeah so in your as you say proverbial locker room now and how you have a I'll say different priority or a different focus Mm -hmm. at least what did you learn about how to not miss those moments how to evaluate friendships where you realize oh I can make an impact in this person's life like what is different now that you know that you maybe didn't know back in 2010 you know a decade ago I think it's seeing every relationship as valuable, even if you don't understand how it's valuable in that current moment. Uh, and so it, it's, it's how you treat people, um, which, which would be kind of a more surface level. So not just how you treat people, but also understanding that uh, I may not understand this relationship now, or I may not understand uh, how having that conversation with this coworker or asking about their family or um, reaching out to this person on Twitter, even if I don't hear back, or maybe we just had a, a short interaction, not giving up on it, I guess, or not deeming it as a waste of my time or worthless. Our time is so valuable uh, in 2020. It's probably, I think it's even more valuable than the cash we carry in our wallets to where we can kind of dismiss things where it's like, I just don't have time for that, that person or that relationship or to send that text. And so I think it, uh, how it's changed my focus is even if it seems really small, it still is worth doing. Uh, and so that, that can be as, as simple as re- replying to somebody's Instagram story that I played with at Oregon state or replying to a coworker's uh, Instagram story, or just asking them that quick question, but just understanding that even if it's not a value add to me right now, I can still be a value add to them. And even if it's just for a short moment uh, and maybe it doesn't ever turn into anything, but um, trying to build as many bridges without taking bridges down because it might be more convenient or it might be easier or um, it might be uh, it might seem like a waste of materials to have built that bridge. And these, this is kind of metaphorical, but I think practically what it looks like is just being aware of who I have access to. Obviously I sit in a seat now where I rub shoulders with people who have more resources, people who have done more things. Maybe they sit in different spots. I can go to certain churches and have conversations with certain people that I would have never had access to back at my church in Oregon. And so I think it's also that it's being aware, man, I was in the Oregon state locker room with James Rogers quiz, all of these people who have done incredible things and are continuing to do incredible things. But because I stepped away from that, I also stepped away from them. 
And so I guess there's also a bit of separating what you're doing professionally from the relationships and realizing that these aren't just people that you work with. These aren't just people that you relate to or see on a daily basis. That's not just your Starbucks barista. These are actual people that regardless of how you're interacting professionally, you don't just have a LinkedIn relationship with them. You also have an Instagram relationship with them. And so understanding that those two things are different and just because one might go away doesn't mean the other has to go away. And so I I think it's that just being aware of who's around me as well and understanding the magnitude of the seat that I sit in. And so uh, always looking to build relationships as well and keep those relationships. Uh, So I moved from away from Oregon, still having those relationships in Oregon, still uh, having relationships with Oregon state and the people who are involved in the program and doing podcasts like this with a guy named Josh, uh, who I have not met in person or haven't had a relationship with outside of doing this podcast um, because I think it's valuable. And because I want to also be accessible to those people who may need my hand, even if it's just for a moment uh, in a season of their life. Um, and so I think that is what the Oregon state locker room taught me. Uh, and I could have done a better job, but I'm never going to make that mistake again in misjudging that it's not just about what's happening on the field, but there's something that's happening culturally inside of a a locker room, um, or where my worth actually was, it was never going to be on the field, Josh, but I believe if I, I, and I didn't uh, stop playing because I wasn't playing on the field. I had other reasons for stopping playing, but uh, if I would have been there for four years and had never played, um, I would have hoped what I would have learned is that I still had value on the team because of the relational dynamic, uh, which is just as important for a, a fo- for a locker room and a football team or any team uh, for that matter, work or sports related. And that was the role that I was actually playing. It wasn't playing center. It wasn't playing guard. It wasn't anywhere they could have put me on the field. It was what was happening in the locker room. And so I've tried to translate that into my professional and personal life as well. So much good stuff. Before before I let you go, if people want to listen to your podcast or find you on social media, how, how do they find you? The best place uh, to interact with me and probably the most likely place that you as a listener are is on Instagram. So you can follow me there. And then I have a little link in my bio that kind of links out to all of the stuff that you just mentioned, uh, Josh. But if you're not going to click that link and you want to hear the titles of the podcast that I'm on one more time, I work at One and All Church in San Dimas, California. Uh, I am the co-host on the One and All podcast, uh, where we have transparent conversations uh, with uh, pastors uh, and also voices in and out of the church about conversations uh, about the church uh, and kind of the church's stance. We've been recording quite a few podcasts on this political season and why there's so much divide uh, and why that division has also introduced itself into the church and kind of what we do with that. Uh, People who we should be united as Christians. uh, And that's kind of what the world perceives, but they also see some of the nastiest stuff coming out of the Christian community and out of the church. And so we kind of have those uh, conversations. We actually you're probably not watching this on video, but uh, Josh can see in this uh, office that I'm in right here. Uh, And then I'm also the co-host on the social media church podcast that doesn't have to do with my job here at One and All, but uh, I do utilize my platform here at One and All to talk to other churches about how they can leverage social media to impact uh, and magnify their, the ministry that they're doing uh, wherever they're at. So those are the two podcasts that I'm on. And if you want to connect with me, just say hi, DM me, whatever. Instagram is the best place to do that. Well, I really enjoyed hearing everything you're doing, Aaron. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. 
One of the most fun areas of conversation I have in this podcast when we start talking about the identity question, who were you when sports ended? And we could have even gone a lot further into that with Aaron Magnuson than we really did. And maybe sometime next year, I'll have him on for a part two. But you could tell he was really excited to talk about that sort of thing, life lessons learned, and how he's putting that to use today. And those are the types of conversations I really enjoy is life lessons that impact you today, not just how good of an athlete were you and what's your favorite game? Although sometimes those discussions are fun as well, but I really like talking with Aaron Magnuson. Also got me excited for football season as we talked. It was a little bit before the season opener on November 7th. So hopefully if all goes well, Oregon State will be playing football as you're listening to this in the middle of the season. You can go to Angry Beaver Bar and Grill for tailgating every game day. Home games, away games, doesn't matter. Go check out Angry Beaver Bar and Grill on 4th Street in Corvallis. They're also doing breakfast on weekend days. Go there Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Also go there throughout the week. They've got takeout. You can sit in as well. So Angry Beaver Bar and Grill, a proud sponsor of the Beaver Tales podcast. Quick update on upcoming episodes of the podcast. I've got a lot of baseball guys coming up, but I try to spread it around to all the sports. But I sat down with Pat Casey in his home for a little socially distanced talk for about an hour recently. So check out that episode coming up with Pat Casey. I've got Kyle Noback on tap as well. And you really can't beat that duo of those two guys. All right. Until next time, everybody, I've been your host, Josh Warden. Don't forget when Mike Parker retires 30 years from now, I'm hoping to be the new voice of the Beavers. No guarantees. I'll be honored if I even get a job job interview for anything as big as that. Anyways, thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Good night, everybody, and go Beavs.